0: You're listening to a message from Pastor Kenny Garrett, recorded at a live service at the General Baptist Church, God's House of Prayer, located in Fairborn, Ohio. We have made it through yet another week, and here we are on Sunday morning, all of us together. Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, and we will get there eventually. I'll let you start thumbing through to get to Matthew chapter 23. A few days ago, I saw an ad online, and it was for a coffee cup. Side of the coffee cup says, What's wrong with you people? And it's a quote by R.C. Sproul. I sent it to Mark and I was laughing about it. And I asked Mark if he knew where that quote had come from. R.C. Sproul, of course, is a, a theologian that uh, just recently, a couple years ago, went on to be with the Lord. Uh, pretty popular and uh, immensely widely. Uh, read after and that sort of thing. Uh, But I asked him, I said, do you know where that quote comes from? And Mark told me no, and I sent him the clip. It's posted on YouTube uh, where they're in a question and answer session in about 2014 at a national conference, and R.C. Sproul is one of the guest commentators. And the question is posed from the audience via a card, so the moderator's reading it. And the question starts out by saying, since God is loving and slow to anger, why was his punishment of Adam in the garden so severe? To which point uh, R.C. Sprouse, they, they start to answer it, and then he interjects himself, and he says, uh, to paraphrase him, What you have happening in the garden is the creator of all heaven and earth, saying that this is the way it is, and a creature that's formed out of the dirt, defying a living and holy God. He says, what's wrong with you people? If you think the judgment that God has given is too severe. He says, he goes on to then say that that's what's wrong with our church, is that we've forgotten Who God is and we've forgotten who we are and I started to ponder and I started to pray over that and this is a couple weeks ago so that's why a little while ago we preached a sermon about salvation and the why you're saved that it's for the glory of God that uh, your salvation has nothing to do with your good works or how many old ladies you've helped across the street or about your perfect church attendance or how loud you pray, or how much money you give, or how many Bible verses that you've memorized. You are saved to bring glory to God. And if we don't understand this, then the church becomes a stage for vanity. The church becomes all about your needs and how you can best be fulfilled, and you start to measure things in the church by how much you like them, if the time works best for you, if the pews are comfortable, if you like the singing or not. So I, I hope that you pondered that, that our salvation is tied up in the glory of God, that you and I have salvation to bring glory to the Creator of heaven and earth. That we start to remember who God is and we remember who we are. And if we're together on that point, then we need to understand the how of salvation how salvation works. Now, when I walked over from across the street after I put our vegetable soup on to cook, I walked right into the middle of a Sunday school lesson about the love of God and salvation. And there was a question, and immediately I interjected my thoughts, but I didn't give the entire story. I left a little part out because I didn't want to preach my sermon to Sunday school class and then preach it again later. So as Paul Harvey said, now we'll get comfortable and get the rest of the story for a continuation from Sunday school. I think that most of the people in this room understand the how of salvation, but our focus has become blurred. When we forget who God is and we forget who we are, things start to become a little blurry in the religious realm, in our spiritual lives. We introduce words like sincerity and feeling and change, And then we link those words into phrases, uh, like feeling love towards God and uh, changing our ways and sincere hearts. And when we do this, it shifts the focus ever so slightly from God to us. We forget who we are, that we were created out of the dust of the earth, and that we worship a holy God. And ever so slightly, we shift that focus From his glory to us. And that we love God and that we have a sincere heart and we're changing our ways. We lose sight of the fact that we're saved by God's work in Christ on Calvary. I'll say that again. You and I are saved by God's work through Christ on Calvary. And when we change that focus from Christ to us, we're doing what the Bible calls making the cross of Christ of none effect. We're introducing our own role as the primary role in salvation. Being saved is not a mere change of ways or a feeling or an emotion. It's a rescue from death to life. It's from enslavement to freedom. It's from judgment and wrath to forgiveness. And it's God's rescue. Only He can do it. It starts with Him. Salvation was God's act before it involved anything from us. Christ died on a cross for our sins. We then repent of those sins and believe and follow him. And that's where our part comes in is repentance. Now most often you hear repentance explained as almost like a really serious religious spiritual new year's resolution. I'm not gonna yell at my kids anymore. I'm not gonna say any more cuss words. I'm not gonna drink anymore. I'm not gonna tell any little lies. I'm gonna be a better person. I'm gonna be nicer. But If we're honest about what repentance is, if you understand what real repentance is, if you understand what happens at an altar of prayer, is a great shifting. It's when you and yours and my heart changes from our idols to God. When we cast our idols aside and worship God, that's how repentance happens. Now, it looks like a changed life, right? That's part of it. It, it will start to manifest itself. Uh, the Bible talks about the fruit, that by their fruit you'll know them. It looks like a changed life, but it must start in your heart. Sister Debbie was talking uh, about when you you pray that prayer of salvation, that something happens and something changes. And I said everything but this because I didn't want to get into the sermon in Sunday school. But that's what changes. It's the casting aside of our idols in exchange for God. If you're somehow able to change your behavior but your heart is still devoted to your idols, then you've not really repented of your sins. Stand with me. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to talk about the Pharisees a little bit this morning. Understanding who God is, understanding who we are in Matthew Uh, 23 verse 25 it says woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you make clean the outside of the cup of the platter but within they are full of extortion and excess thou blind pharisee cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites For ye are like unto whitened sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Will you bow your heads with me, Lord? I pray, Lord, that uh, as we break the bread of life this morning, uh, that you give us spirit of understanding, that you help us uh, to apply your word to our lives, Lord, Uh, help us to keep you in the center of our worship, um, to worship you, Lord, instead of um, our idols, to help us cast those aside. I pray, Lord, that you draw us each closer to each other, of course, as you draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the Pharisees. In Christ's times, we're excellent neighbors. The Pharisees are not going to allow their children to leave their bicycles on your lawn. Uh, They're not going to have crazy parties. They're not going to throw cigarette butts in your flower bed. They're going to mow their grass probably at the same level uh, every week. Things will look good over there. Like I said, excellent neighbors. They appear righteous. Righteous outwardly they're okay they're a moral group of people but Christ very plainly says that there's a problem inside now you and I may be quick to think well the problem is within them and they can fix it but the uh, what Christ is pointing to and alluding to is that very much inside their hearts they have not cast aside their idols they're still worshiping themselves and what they have done, and they've they've shifted the focus of their faith not so much in God but what in they themselves have done. They were upstanding people. So when R.C. Sproul said that we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is, what he's getting is at the point is to the point that idolatry is alive and well today within our churches in this same form and fashion. now God has a lot to say about idolatry. There's a few verses written about idolatry. We gloss over it as modern humans thinking it's some problem that affects only ancient man, that you and I are far too smart to worship an idol that's made out of clay or wood. I've heard preachers in my life talk about uh, making the idol, you can make an idol out of anything. And even as a kid, I thought that doesn't make any sense. We're modern people. We're much too smart to bow down in front of a car or a celebrity or a sports team and worship it. So oftentimes, the reality of what God is is saying in his word, what the preachers are preaching, just kind of goes over us because we don't think they're talking to us. Because we would never engage in idolatry. So for generations, a true understanding of idolatry is lost. And the idolatry of self has crept in. It's easy to see that in a drug addict's life. You can spot that a mile away. Sometimes it's a little harder to spot and a person that talks about God as though they believe. But then you see their actions are all wrapped up in themselves. They ultimately do as they please. And this is because, not because uh, they don't believe hard enough or they're not sincere enough, but they've not traded their idols in for a living, uh, loving God. They do this because they're still worshiping the idol of self. They're committing the same sin as Adam and Eve committed in the garden. where We say as humans that we'll decide what's right and what's wrong. In the church, sometimes it becomes even harder if we don't understand real repentance, if we don't understand grace, if we don't understand idolatry, well-meaning people can set about changing our ways ourselves. And then we start to view our salvation as something we're owed. I'm so good that God has to accept me. And we would never stand up in church and say that. But we start to look around. Salvation and heaven becomes payment for how we live, and our praise of God's turns to praise of ourselves. And our testimonies start to take the focus from God and place it on us. And oftentimes, anytime I hear somebody testify that they're so glad uh, that they're not out sinning and doing this stuff. I cringe a little bit because I'm not glad that I'm better than other people, that I'm, I'm saved and that there's lost out there and that uh, somehow God's chosen me. I'm glad and happy today that I'm not the same person I once was. And that's through the power of God. There's no hierarchy to mankind. Our songs disappear, our praise disappears. We become satisfied in what we view as our own efforts. And that is highly dangerous for the life of the church. Because once you become highly satisfied in your own efforts, and your own righteousness, your testimony goes away, your song goes away, and also your witnessing stops. Because you don't think that other person can do it. They're not quite as good as you. So we stop short of sharing the gospel. Because we no longer see it as a gift from God. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinful and and having treacherous hearts. And worshiping ourselves. Until one day we met with a savior. That died on a cross and paid for our sins. So that you and I can have life and have it more abundantly. We forget about that part of the story and that that grace and that forgiveness is available to all. If you're living that, it's hard to be quiet about it. When you understand what really happened when you were saved, it's hard to be quiet. When we see the how of salvation through the lens of idolatry of self, we think about how righteous we are and how our behavior is. And we start to sound and look a lot like the Pharisees. But when we see the how of salvation as the gift of God, and that we've cast our idols aside and we've followed the king of kings, I would argue you don't shut up about it, right? God has performed a miracle in your life. There's something new. There's something different. And it comes from the giver of life, the creator of heaven and earth. This is not a self-help. This is not going to be found on Oprah or Dr. Phil. Your praise comes back. Your songs come back. The love comes back. Being part of the people of God comes back. We start to have a a heart for lost people, and that's redeemed speak for we put motion and work towards what's important to us, and that is a lost and dying world. We're thankful and happy for our salvation, but we don't stop there. We tell other people. This is, and I don't want you to get lost in heavy theological thought. However, you and I, as a church here on Vine Street, have to come together on these hard topics. And you've got to understand what salvation is, and you have to understand what happens. And you have to realize that we're part of it, And when somebody comes in those back doors, they're looking for something. And we're the people of God, and this is where they'll find it. It doesn't have anything to do with our location or our building or anything of that nature. But it has everything to do with who we serve. That that this is how God has designed it. That we're to carry the gospel message. That we're to nurture and love uh, new believers in Christ those that are near and those that are far from us. Remember a while back when I said that your behavior doesn't really matter? Everybody sharpened their pitchforks and lit their torches and come after me? This is really what I was getting at. You have to understand that it's a change of heart, that you cast aside your idols, that you worship God, and then things start to fall into line. Then your behavior changes, and it looks like a changed life. Because when you drive home today and the bikes, the neighbor's bikes are all in your driveway, the Holy Spirit's now with you and your focus is on worshiping God and stomping all around or throwing the bicycles in the dumpster or running over them with your car is a bad way to worship God, right? It's not what we're doing. It's not what we're made for. Little things like that, I would even argue, as you grow in Christ and time goes on and you learn more and you grow more, You'll start to see those individual instances in the time span of eternity and realize uh, it's not a big deal, right? Park on the street, go about your life, pray for the kids. Because someday you'll stand before your creator. And where those bikes are aren't going to matter. But how you reacted to it might. How you reacted to it might. Remember when I stopped giving the altar calls and the church said with one voice, we don't like that. We like having an altar call. We need to do that again. And I said, if we're going to do it, then we have to handle it properly. And everybody was kind of shocked that I thought we weren't handling it properly. So with that, in today's we stand here a year or so later, and we have altar calls. We understand that it's not magic, and I don't want you to ever think that it is. It's a relationship and it's very real. that prayer is a very real thing. And it's an act of somebody coming forward and casting aside their idols. Placing their trust in God and developing a relationship with their creator. And it looks like something after it's over. After that prayer is prayed and the, um, there might be some emotions, some tears, what have you. Maybe, maybe not. Um, now there's life after that. And it's every day. It's not just one time on a Sunday afternoon 30 years ago. Paul says examine yourself. Christ says take up your cross and follow me. That worship is changed. You're changed. You're born anew. It has nothing to do with changing your ways. But you're day in and day out living a new life. You are a new creature. Your focus is on your creator. Your life will change. Now, some things will change instantly. Some things may take a lifetime. I don't know. It's different for everybody. Some things, God, that we struggle with. In my own life, uh, my language was absolutely terrible. And I know at that point in my life that I'm called to preach, and I think, I I cuss like a sailor. How is this ever going to work? I'm going to be on YouTube as one of those preachers that get caught like cussing in the sermon because it's just going to come out. It's part of who I am. But when I repented of my sin and I met a creator and I turned things over to God and his sovereignty, he took that from me instantly. I've never struggled with that. It's never been a worry or a concern of mine. It's never happened. Uh, God took it from me instantly. Now, he can do that for you, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that he absolutely will. If we do this, then God will do that. So I'm telling you that to understand what a life looks like, that when you worship, that there is change, that there is growth. And if God doesn't take those temptations away immediately, uh, that you have an advocate with the Father, you have a Holy Spirit that is with you. You're not alone. God has designed his church to come around you and to help you and and that you will grow stronger. And I promise you, through experience and through what the word of God says, that the closer we get to our destination, the more of him you'll see in us if our worship remains where it should be. So when that person uh, comes near in an altar of prayer, You and I have a responsibility. That person has a responsibility. God started this work long ago. God was the first to act in salvation. And you got to keep that clear. You got to understand that it starts at the cross. And that we then respond. Stand with me this morning.